Welcome to Advancing All Women with Sarah Alter, President and CEO of Next Up. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics of the moment for women in the workplace, including key issues that affect the advancement of women, creating better workplaces for women of color, DEI and B solutions, and more. Now, here's your host, Sarah Alter. We are a business show for business leaders and organizations. So let's talk facts. 81 countries in the world prohibit discrimination in employment because of sexual orientation. They include Australia, Canada, France, Germany, Mexico, Switzerland, the UK, and the United States. But that's only 81 out of 195. Today, the majority of Fortune 500 companies support their LGBTQIA plus employees by offering inclusive benefits. And inclusion policies include 93% of that 500 have non-discrimination policies that include sexual orientation. 91% have non-discrimination policies that include gender identity. 56% include domestic partner benefits and 66% include transgender inclusive benefits. But there are 213 million companies in the world and there's 10.7 million in the US. So we've got our work cut out for us. About half, 50.4% of LGBTQIA plus workers in the United States are not out to their supervisors. And one quarter, almost 26% are not out to anyone at work. Comfortability can come in, in, in different levels because of gender and rank. Men are much more likely 80% to be out to most of their colleagues than women, where it's only 58%. Senior leaders are more likely at 80%, which they're typically men, to be out at work than junior employees, 32%. So that's not a surprise. Okay, let's talk about covering, some stats about covering. And for those that don't know, um, employees often change their behavior at work to avoid or minimize attention to stigmatized traits, also known as covering, right? About two in five or 40% of LGBTQIA plus employees are covering at their current jobs so they can avoid harassment or discrimination. Transgender employees are even more likely to cover almost 60% compared to cisgender workers. Alrighty, let's talk hostility. In the European Union, 20% of the LGBTQIA people have experienced discrimination. Transgender employees specifically report even higher proportions of discrimination, 36%. But what's interesting as you shift then to Canada and the US, the numbers get even higher. It's 44% in Canada, and then 45.5% in the United States. Okay, just a last couple of stats, and then we are gonna dive into what should we be doing about this? LGBTQIA plus employees in the US earn 90% for every dollar the typical worker earns, and transgender employees make 32% less per year 
than their cisgender counterparts. And even more sadly, LGBTQIA plus people are often subjected to harmful language. 68% of this community has heard slurs, jokes, or negative comments about them in the workplace. Transgender workers are even subject to more and different types of harassment and includes lack of bathroom accessibility, being deliberately referred to by incorrect pronouns, having to tolerate inappropriate questions, which can only lead to, understandably so, employee disengagement and avoidance. Okay, knowing all of this, it is Pride Month, and quite frankly, it should be something we focus on and serve this mission every day. What can we do as leaders to better support the LGBTQIA plus community? Our work is not done. So let's talk and hear personal journeys, but more importantly, share solutions. I'm Sarah Alter, your host of the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast, and proudly the CEO of Next Stop. And I am joined by an incredible group today. We have Keisha Williams, Director, Workplace Equality for a phenomenal organization, Human Rights Campaign. We have Keisha Washington, National Chair of Engagement, Mosaic Employee Resource Group and Sales and Key Account Manager for Altria, one of our incredible partners. And then Monique Evans, Senior Commercial Loan Closing Representative, Wells Fargo. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. Having us, Sarah. Yeah. Good morning. All right. So, um, Keisha Williams, I can't even call you both KW, right? Like <laughs> I'll, I'll use those surnames. I'll, I'll use those surnames. Keisha Williams, um, please share with us your personal and professional journey and you know what brought you to this pivotal conversation that I know we're going to have today. Sure. So thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm thrilled to be here today. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Keisha Williams, and I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the director of the Workplace Equality Program at the Human Rights Campaign Foundation. So in my current role, I work with large corporations, including Fortune 500 corporations, on how to drive inclusion in their workplaces, both here in the U.S. and abroad. Mm -hmm. um, and through that role, we essentially provide companies with a roadmap. So if I'm a company who doesn't know anything about inclusion, where do I start in ensuring that my employees can feel safe and affirmed in their workplaces? So we use a tool that's called the Corporate Equality Index, and it sets out best practices for companies. Um, but more broadly, outside of my existing role, my career and I would say my life in many ways has been spent advocating for myself as a Black lesbian, first-generation American woman. Um, and also as an advocate for others, um, as an attorney for over a decade. So for me, it's an absolute pleasure to do the work that I do. And I am excited to be here and join in the conversation. Yeah, no, and, and HRC has just been such an incredible partner to us. Um, and they are global. Like you were just in Brazil and Chile, you know, running programs and just cannot, you know, encourage everybody enough to, to go check them out. We're going to include links as we post our podcast. And so that way we can link over to their phenomenal website and you can access all of the great content and tools and services that they have to provide. So, you know, again, Keisha, thank you. 
All righty. Um, Keisha Washington <laughs> from Altria, one of our, our all-time favorite partners who practices what we preach. <laughs> um, please, why are you here today? Other than, other than I know you won't say no to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, I am, uh, my identity as a Black, urban, queer, female really lays the foundation for the work that I do in this space. I mean, kind of like Keisha mentioned, this is my life, right? This is not a choice that I get. This is unfortunately the experience and the reality of my life. Um, and I will tell you that, you know, my backing being in the urban community, LGBTQ plus is not something that is probably spoke about. It's kind of like swept under the rug type thing. Uh, and then when you add on the several layers of identity with being Black, with being urban, and then you add queer, and now even female, now you're talking about a slew of different uh, discriminatory actions and, and behaviors that you have to deal with, right? All from these different identities. And I will tell you that um, you see the work when, when you see someone say, oh my God, thank you for protecting me in the workplace. I feel good about yeah. being able to say who I am and being my authentic self. When you get that, you're like, okay, this is working. This is, this is the benchmark. This is the metric yeah. that I'm looking yeah. for, right? Yeah. Um, but I will tell you, very similar to Keisha, my identity in this space, the experiences that we all endure, uh, we see them, right? And even our own goals and aspirations, within our own, own journeys, right? We see those challenges in those roadblocks that smack us in the face sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. I, and instead of just falling down and kind of just going with the flow of things, we fight back. And that's, that's, that gives you the empowerment that you need to keep believing in this fight. And so very similar to Keisha, I do it because this is my life. This is my, it's, this yeah. is my experience. It's, it's your why. Right. It's your it's life my and why. it's your why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Monique, we'd love to hear about your oh, personal you. and professional journey too. And thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Uh, my name is Monique Evans. Um, I'm an Ohio raised black trans woman in corporate America. <laughs> and uh, my pronouns are she, her. And uh, I'm here today because you know, the title of the show is Advancing All Women. And I was raised by a woman. And I know that um, socially, especially um, in Black circles, um, a lot of women are uh, moving away from the strong Black woman narrative. But um, my mom is definitely resilient, however mm -hmm. she chooses to identify. And she laid the, the groundwork for me and my sister um, to face the world head on um, in boldness. And, um, you know, even now, I think she's grappling with the fact that, um, you know, we, we dug our heels into the foundation of, of who we um, were brought up to be. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, she sometimes has a problem when we're, you know, kind of too vocal. I think uh, me and my sister are really self-assured people who know who we are and um i love advocating um you know not only on behalf of myself but also on um with regards to like trans rights and women's rights 
and um, it's an ever-evolving fight. And I know that um, in my industry, I work in banking and finance, been in banking and finance for two decades. I've seen the change. And one of the things that made me stand up and be out and, yeah. and proud about, you know, who I am and, and the community that I represent is because I wanted to um, be the narrator of my own story and do my best to cease the conversation being had about me outside of me and the whispers that people used to have about me. And I wanted to get in front of that and say, yeah, I am transgender. And, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to ask me about it. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and like such a testament to your mom and such a testament to you. Um, it, it, so it, Monique, share a little bit more, because I know you and I bonded, you know, I, I had a an adventure there for a period of time in the financial services industry. And okay, you can't get any more white and male. <laughs> and yeah, so share a little yeah. bit more about your personal journey because it, it was not easy. I just can't even yeah, imagine so... it. Was. <laughs> um, to your point, you know, you say you can't get any more white male, uh, with regards to representation of the financial industry. And yeah, that is the case on the face of it. Um, but those who actually work in the financial industry know that it's more than just white males um, who represent these corporations and who are actually doing the work. I work on a, a um, team um, full of a group of all women, identified um, people who identify as women um, of various backgrounds. Um, and I'm hard pressed to think about the um, first connected white male. I think he's like a, a few levels away from me. Um, but yeah, they are the representative face. And I have seen a lot of changes in this That's industry. That's good to hear. Um, having, having started um, in the early 2000s, um, like I said, I was raised in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I um, relocated to Texas and I worked at four of the top five um, banks in the United States. And then I also did a few contract positions um, for about two or three of the top accounting firms. And um, the reality is, you know, representation does matter. Um, diversity does matter. Um, but, you know, the real aspect of where we are now is not just about, you know, who's black at the table, who's, who's Latinx at the table, who's, you know, the minority at the table. It's about, okay, is is the table and what's on the table benefiting us and being shared equitably? And so that's where I'm at now because it's like it, there's so many people that you'll, you'll see representative of these corporations, especially during the month of June. But, you know, the so pay may not necessarily be there. Um, the real recognition outside of June may not necessarily be there. So there is so much more advancing to do. Yeah, but but the good news is progress has been made because to your point, yeah, like I think back, gosh, I was there, it was probably 10 years ago. And so it's good to hear that, you know, from your perspective in the industry, you're clearly seeing diversification, you know, and shifting, you know, perspectives and growing support. Did you did you have to, it re, remind our audience, did you have to, come out then at work or you entered your career with your current identity 
<laughs> yeah. So, um, I, from my vantage point, whether you're transgender, whether you're, you know, masculine, gay, or feminine, lesbian, um, folks who don't necessarily identify um, based on the default perspective of society, it's an ever, um, ever, ever, everyday type of coming out yeah. story that you may yeah. have. You're, you're always right. going to have to get right. a disclosure to someone. So there is no one official coming out story, I would say. Um, I think that the, the main uh, objective for anybody like me specifically is um, the coming out and embracing who, who, who you are within yourself. And that right there is the pivotal moment for me when I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And actually, to mm -hmm. your point, I transitioned um, in between um, jobs. So I lost my job at Chase and um, I knew that going into my next position, I didn't want to go. Um, I, I, I wanted to just transition and I, I had the support yeah. of a really good friend. And more importantly, I had, you know, the, the wherewithal within myself to know that this is what I wanted, regardless of the outcome, regardless of whether my family would shun me or I would lose, you know, friends out of my circle or whoever knew my Mimi, whoever knew me in my in my previous life or or how I previously identified, if they were not on board with the transition, I was okay with letting them go. I didn't want to walk into the next job right. setting right. not being who I wanted to be. And so it was it was tough. I mean, you know, in hindsight it seemed like it was a breeze. Um, but yeah, it was very challenging, but it was in the best interest of my mental state and um, my overall well-being uh, in terms of how I wanted to conduct my life. And I and I know that you'd shared in in prayer conversations that we we we've, we've had, and I know Keisha, you've shared as well that you've both had to cover. You know, you've both had to adapt. You know, your your behavior and you know across you know multiple dimensions. Tell us a little bit more about that, Keisha. It's, it, I think Monique hit it dead on the head. It is those challenges that you face in the workplace where in your mind you're thinking, well, it won't be that big of a deal if I just do a little bit of covering and keep this secret and not mention this. You don't realize the exhaustion that you, that you experience Absolutely. covering. I will tell you that in the last 10 years of employment for myself, the last three companies that I worked at, I did not express who I was <laughs> from the way that I talked to the way that I dressed to the activities that I did on the weekend to even my partner at the time. I was not honest at all. And there was now I will say there were things that I felt, you know, those insecurities or those those small things that that turn up to be the imposter syndrome inside of you when you're like, I can't share that with people. They're not going to accept that. They're going to judge me. They're not going right. to give me opportunities, right. right? So for me, it was, I already had the identities of being Black and being urban, right? And so for me, that had already been a challenge of people wondering if I'm educated enough, people wondering if I qualify for the positions at hand, if I can do the job, right? So I already had that. And so to add mm -hmm. in there a queer woman that has a par a female partner, and see, for me, it's a little bit more uh, complicated because I feel like so many people don't understand queer theory. 
They don't understand the queer identity in itself. And so when you have a person that that shows up and expresses gender as a cis female, right, cisgender female, and then I look like I could do everything that a, that a heterosexual woman would do, but then I have to explain to you why I have a daughter and I'm queer. I have to explain to you how I could have relations with other individuals outside of, you know, whether it's female or male, like mm-hmm. so much complication to that has to go into explaining identity that when you have so many identities that you got to explain, it becomes exhausting. And so then you start talking about mental health, right? Because mm-hmm. now you're in a space of you may love your work that you do, but because you can't be your authentic self, it becomes a job. It becomes a burden. It becomes something where you're like, God, do I really want to do this anymore? And like Monique's point, it, you really have to face the music to say, hey, I have to stand up in who I am and I have to be proud about who I am. And I'm going to lead with this regardless of who doesn't like it or not. But that takes a lot because there's a lot yeah. of doors that get yeah. closed and you got to be okay with that. And so yeah. for me, I will tell you that it was my employment at at the EPA in Region 5 Chicago, whoop, whoop, shout out to them, um, <laughs> really working with environmental justice, working with the EEOC, working with the, the Office of Civil Rights to truly dive into this thing we call diversity and inclusion, right? And so while I had experienced it from my own personal perspective, now I get the opportunity to see how others are experiencing it. Some that have some of the same challenges as myself. And I will tell you one of the most rewarding things for me in my career was to to get emails from folks saying, oh my God, you just made a way for me to be myself at work and be protected. Yeah. Right. You don't understand. Just think about it. I I had a a coworker of mine that basically gave this uh, commentary to me and she was like, I have a family of five that I have to care for. I never, she had been married to her partner for 20 years, never told anyone about her partner, never invited her family to a a company gathering. Wow. And once the SOGI policy kicked in on the federal level, she called me crying and saying, I can bring my family to work and not feel like I'm going to lose my It It's so, Keisha Williams, you, you get to do this every day, right? Like, this is your why. And, um, you know, from, from your own personal experience, were you always able, were you always publicly sharing, hey, here's who I am. Here's my identity. Here's my life, my family, right? Or, or did you have to transition at some point as well? I think for me, um, I just want to echo both what Keisha and Monique Monique said about having to come out on a repeated basis. So it's like every time you meet a new person within your organization or your company, it's again, we're at the the water cooler. We're having a conversation. It's what did you do on the weekend? And then it's that moment where you're thinking, okay, should I censor what I did on the weekend or should I be transparent fully about what I did on the weekend? So every single time, even within an organization, um, you still have to repeatedly come out. So for me, um, I started my career as an attorney. So again, not the most diverse field that you'll ever work in, Um, certainly filled with a lot of older white cis males. Um, So yes, so I I did sort of throw it out there in conversation. I think early in my career, my strategy was just to toss it out early (laughs) and, and hope for the best. 
Um, because what I found is when I didn't say anything, then it would be a situation where someone made a comment that was inappropriate. And then it almost felt like I didn't have autonomy and choice about when to share my story. I felt compelled to share my story in response to someone else's commentary. Um, so I really tried to take back my, my power in, in a way and try to share my story when I chose to, as opposed to, to feeling in some ways backed into a corner and feeling like I had a responsibility to correct folks uh, who weren't being inclusive in the workplace. Absolutely. No, and it- I'm it, glad it, that you use that word because I think that uh, use the word strategy. And I think that a lot of people outside of this space don't realize the burden of, you know, having to decide when to show up fully as themselves and if it really matters, especially when we've been indoctrinated right. Right. Um, individually and as a society for so long that, you know, certain voices don't matter. And yeah, there's a lot of change that has happened or whatever, but I, I still think that there's so many people who are fighting the urge of whether they should or should not come out, whether in the workplace or um, in any space that they might be in. And when, when you incorporate the aspect of intersectionality, it becomes an even more burdensome uh, layering process of, you know, do I just want to show up and just, you know, earn my living and just and leave? And, and you know, these people don't even care about, you know, the other aspects of who I am or whatever. Um, me personally, I feel like, you know, once I um, started being authentic, and really fully showing up and saying, hey, this is who I am. It freed me. Um, would that be the case for somebody else? I don't know. That would be their story to tell. Um, I know that a lot of people also uh, may not necessarily, you know, show up and, and be out um, based on the fact that they don't want to be the token, the, the token representative right. in their space right. for um, some of these issues. And more importantly, um, they don't necessarily want to be looked on as the experts. A lot of people aren't experts. They just want to live their lives. And even if they right. identify with this or that or the other, right. um, they are the experts of their own lives. And sometimes maybe not even then because um, it depends on if they've done the, the interpersonal work to say, okay, let me reconcile within myself the experiences that I might have had um, in relation to the subject matters mm -hmm. at hand. A lot of people haven't even gone that far to say, okay, uh, when so-and-so said this to me, was that a microaggression um, tactic? Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm glad that you used the word strategy because there's a yeah. lot of layers to this from a mental standpoint. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and thankfully, to your point, Monique, you know, that's where like, you know, allies and, and communities and great organizations like NHRC or, or Next Up you know, should be stepping up and helping to make sure that that education happens. And, and I, and I love how you've both, you've, you've absolutely nailed it. Like it's every day. It's not one moment. It's not one experience, <laughs> you know, sadly, because of the opportunity that still exists, it happens every day and maybe multiple times a day. And that, I mean, that clearly that that's impacted me. Gosh, if there's anything from this first 25 minutes that just hit me over the head and in the heart um, let's do this. We're going to take a short commercial break. Um, please don't leave us because here's the point in our discussion where we're going to, after this short commercial break, we're going to shift into talking about, you know, best practices and solutions and things that, you know, allies and leaders and organizations can do. 
I want to thank everybody that's been listening in so far. You've been listening to our Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. And you can always check us out at nextupisnow.org for more information on Next Up and all of our podcasts. We will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. For over 20 years, Next Up has been bringing professional women, allies, and corporate partners together to champion gender equity and advance all women in their careers. Together, we are a powerful, growing community of over 14,000 members and 300-plus regional and corporate sponsors. We work to create leadership opportunities, amplify women's voices in the workplace, and ensure that all women in business can seize opportunities in the now and in the next. Members of Next Up gain access to a broad community of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development across our 21 regional communities. Get best-in-class leadership development opportunities and attend our two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and B and leadership. Join Next Up today. Visit nextupisnow.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member. That's nextupisnow.org slash membership. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear. And listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Next Up? Visit our website at nextupisnow.org. That's nextupisnow.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to Sarah Alter in the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. It's Pride Month. It should be Pride Day, every day. And we're talking about support for the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, you know, how do you transition or come out at work? 
and what are those best practices for supporting employees from this community? And we're looking at it through the lens of a couple of our, our guests' personal stories, their lived experiences, and now we're going to shift over to, okay, let's talk about solutions. And I am joined by just an incredible group of leaders. We've got Keisha Williams, Director, Workplace Equality from Human Rights Campaign. We've got Keisha Washington, National Chair of Engagement, Mosaic, Employee Resource Group, and Sales and Key Account Manager at Altria, one of our favorite partners. And uh, Monique Evans, Senior Commercial Loan Closing Representative at Wells Fargo. And, and Monique, you and I are going to work on getting Wells Fargo to join as a partner, right? And and they they darn okay. well better be partnering with HRC too, right? Right, Keisha? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So back to our discussion. Um, let's lead in with, okay, best practices and solutions. And, and again, just for support of this incredible community in general. And so Keisha Williams, that's where we shine the spotlight on you, my friend. Sure. So I'm happy to talk about what companies can do. Um, at the Human Rights Campaign, we work with about 1,300 large companies and provide a roadmap for every company and also lots of individualized support. And one note that I often share with every company, especially companies that are new to their DEI journey, is really to think about your work and making your, your workplace inclusive as a journey and not a destination. You don't put three policies in place and you reach a destination where you don't have to continue mm -hmm. the journey. Mm -hmm. It's a commitment to growth, a commitment to learning, a commitment to identifying growth areas and really working to improve them. So there's a couple of things that I think companies really have to think about when they're trying to ensure that their environment is inclusive. First is looking at your workplace protections. So ensuring that your non-discrimination policies, your company values, and your training expressly outlines the fact that discrimination is prohibited based on sexual orientation and gender identity, and making sure that there is accountability for folks mm -hmm. who are not complying with those non-discrimination policies. So that's critically important to put everyone on the same playing field so they understand what their expectations are as employees. And I know we are living in an environment where there is so much divisiveness and, and folks have very strong opinions personally. Okay. And that's why it's critically important to really lean into the company's values and expectations of employees. Because regardless of your personal belief system, when you right. come into work, you have an obligation to honor and uphold the values and the policies that that company sets out. And those workforce protections are really a pathway to doing that. Second, I would say a huge aspect of creating inclusion within an environment is ensuring that you empower employees to understand what inclusion looks like uh, not just from a macro perspective, but in those individual water cooler conversations that we talked about. What does it look like? So this means having comprehensive training for employees at all levels of the organization. Um, this means requiring leaders to be modeling the behavior that you want to see from all of your employees. We talked a little bit about allyship earlier, and that's a huge aspect of having an inclusive environment. Your leaders have to model what that looks like. Your employees have to understand what those expectations are and education tools and resources are a huge pathway to doing that. Another huge umbrella 
uh, category that we often identify for companies is healthcare. I know there was a couple of statistics shared about healthcare earlier, but the healthcare system uh, plainly wasn't built for LGBTQI A plus individuals. Um, access to care thus is built on a structure that is not inclusive of our community. Mm -hmm. So what we found is that many health insurance plans have broad exclusions that really are a barrier to care for transgender employees, for example. So as a company, you have a responsibility to really look through your policies, eliminate any kind of broad exclusions to care, especially for transgender employees, and ensure that there is an affirmative care offering for transgender employees and that you have competent folks and experts who can mm -hmm. help employees mm -hmm. navigate what is a very rigorous process in trying to gain access to medically necessary care. Uh, we also want companies to take a look at their policies and ensure that there is equal access to all of your benefit offerings for legal spouses and domestic partners, regardless of gender. So for example, if you want to form a family, you may look in your healthcare plan and it says in order to receive access to any kind of fertility treatment, you have to quote unquote try for one year. Like what does that mean for some couples, right? There are so many uh, pitfalls in the healthcare industry. So companies have to take ownership of ensuring that their benefit offerings are inclusive uh, for their employees. Another huge component of having an inclusive environment is looking at what you're doing internally within your organization to ensure that the environment is inclusive. So in addition to training, we recommend that folks have employee resource groups. They're an opportunity for mm -hmm. LGBTQIA plus folks and many other communities to get together, to have a sense of community and to really build and amplify the voices of marginalized folks within organizations. And we recommend that each of those groups has an executive sponsor. So someone who is a part of the executive leadership team who can really bring power to the ideas that are raised mm -hmm. in these kinds of forums. Um, because we want folks to have the conversation, but we also want them to be empowered to be able to address and identify those growth areas that leadership should be aware of. Um, and, and lastly, what I'll mention is external engagement. Before an employee walks in the door of your company, before they apply for a job, every organization is sending a message about what its values are. So whether it's the recruitment that you do, the marketing, the look of your website, there are so many ways that you are sending a message to employees, prospective employees, consumers, investors, and many others about the company's values. So really thinking about your external engagement with the LGBTQIA plus community and how you can be more inclusive to send that message. Because if you don't say anything, then you're gonna be an employee in a workplace and you're not gonna be sure whether it's safe to come out. Even if you want it to, you won't have yeah. any information yeah. about where your company stands. Um, so these are some of the things that companies should really take a look at um, and really put in place as they are uh, really taking uh, a, a real hard look at how they can be more inclusive and, and where they're falling short. And, and so key to, you know, well, one to the recruiting process, right? So getting access to that top talent, but then so key to the retention. And I can't remember if I shared this stat, but like one out of three you know, leaders or, or team members who are in the LGBTQIA plus community are pursuing another job because they don't have the right culture. They don't have the right opportunity to succeed. And, and, and again, that, you know, kind of gets back to the, the covering that, you know, Keisha and, and Monique had talked about. Um, Monique, 
your thoughts on this? Because you've worked for a variety of great organizations. What are some of the, the more positive um, situations and experiences that you had that you'd love to see other leaders and companies duplicate? Yeah, um, you mentioned that I work for Wells Fargo. It has been uh, one of the longest tenures that I've had. I've been with the company for about eight years and I got lucky. I mean, I was acquired from a previous um, corporation. Um, not only do I do my day job, but I, I work outside of my day job and I am the um, enterprise um, communications leader um, for the Pride Connection, which falls under uh, our you know, employee resource network. Um, I'm also an advisor that mm -hmm. supports the transgender engagement chair. Um, so speaking about from top down, you know, teacher was talking about like values over here. We're celebrating 30 years of pride. Um, Wells Fargo was established in San Francisco. Um, so for the longest time, we've had non-discriminatory non policies and values. Um, and I think that one of the things that really stands out to me, another thing that she mentioned was um, you know, the aspect of ERNs, BRGs, employee resource networks, um, business resource net, uh, groups. Um, and I think about those as like almost unofficial unions with no dues. Um, their responsibility essentially is to drive the need for um, benefits and services specific to, specific to the demographics that they represent. Um, and so I love the fact that at least over here i can't speak for everybody else's corporation that have those in place but at least over here we do have executive sponsors and we also have um ally chairs for each particular um erN and we were talking about like um allyship and i think that right now we're at a place in time where um allyship and you know what it means to be an ally is being thought of in in different ways and it's safe to say that there's various mm -hmm. levels um, and degrees of um, allyship and to be an ally. And I think that regardless of whatever level it's on, it's still a trusted relationship and it's, it's a mutual exchange, if you will. Um, and so, you know, as long as we have those allies that are standing in the gap and utilizing um, the, their voice on, on issues that matter, um, and sometimes it may not be on a broad perspective. It might just be on an individual basis in representation for somebody that they know directly. And it may not necessarily be about the whole group. Um, and, and that still matters too. That still counts. I've seen it, I've witnessed it, you know, in, in, in my experience, um, the giver and the recipient type of exchange, if you will. Um, but as long as people are um, standing up and recognizing that I've always been of the mindset that anybody can be an ally for anybody. So I love Absolutely. that people are an ally on my behalf um, as a transgender, but I'm an ally on behalf of disabled people. So, you know, keep the ball rolling and um, it's all about fairness and treating everybody as a human being. And it's just like, a, 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 and you reinforced it too, you know, what you brought up, Keisha, was it's, it's broadening your concept, your definition of, you know, what makes a family, right? And it's, it's particularly when it comes, you know, to the benefits, you know, that you provide to an individual and to who they define their family as and their household, 
you know, in their life. And, you know, we've talked a lot about this, that I, I think, you know, the, the traditional benefits and insurance packages have always skewed towards that traditional family, you know, and they've even ignored caregivers. So, you know, it, it was just, it was that, oh, I've had a baby. I'm there to support you, you know, oh, I'm a caregiver of my elderly parent. That hasn't always been available. And we're seeing shifts in that. I'm a, um, like a, a coach and a judge at the Chicago um, business school, Booth um, business school. And I was partnering with a phenomenal group of students who are doing a startup. And it's, it was started by a woman who's going into med school, but it's a, a new, um, medical practice that's focused on just serving the LGBTQIA plus community. So what are the transition needs, the hormone therapy needs, you know, what are the, you know, and you said it, Keisha, what, what are the support services and, and the medical support that you can provide for someone who wants to start their family? And it's not necessarily going to happen. And I use, you can't see it, but I'm using the quote marks here, you know, the traditional, you know, there's no traditional, there's, there's just so many unique and different ways now. And that's the beautiful thing, you know, that you can have a family in so many different ways. Um, so I'm super proud of this group and, and, um, you know, they're going to make waves. Um, Keisha, let's hear about, um, Keisha Washington, let's hear about, you know, your experience, like those positive things that has happened to you and that I know you've played forward because as you've shared, you know, you are such an amazing ally yourself to be there for others as well. Yes. Uh, well, well, we could just look at the world that we live in right now, right? We see all these things happening. We see a slew of LGBTQ uh, legislature come down against mm -hmm. the community. And so it is, especially when you see the, the millennial generation growing in numbers with identifying as LGBTQ+, it is pivotal for companies to be intentional and transparent right out the gate, right? And so when I think about my company, for instance, one thing, you know, we have quite a few different protections in play for our employees. But one thing that we do is we have constant conversation about the evolving dynamics in our world today. Right. And so we see states now prohibit certain access, healthcare access to LGBTQ and to trans youth. And so this is where we go back to the drawing board and say, hey, what are what do we have in play for this? And how can we evolve what we have in play to accommodate the changes that are coming? Right. Because as we all know, this is an evolving world. And so like like Keisha mentioned, having those three policies in play right now mm -hmm. will not suffice for the future of our of the company. Yeah. So you have to always be having conversation, always be willing to go back to the drawing board and being intentional and transparent. I think we've we've gone far away from the politically correct days, right? We're talking about reality <laughs> now because that's how you get your buy-in from people. They're not looking to see the check the box thing anymore. They want to really see what your organization is about and how you stand on it. Yeah. Another thing I would say is, again, one thing that my company does well, uh, partner with those external organizations that specialize in the needs that you have, right? Like Think HRC. about you, your organization <laughs> next up, HRC, next up. Like yeah. we, when we don't know everything there is to know and we know we have opportunities, we're going to go to somebody that can actually help us get there and not try to figure it out ourselves, right? Yeah. Another thing I would add is in that whole process of, of partnering with organizations, honestly do a needs assessment, 
I know a lot of times, you know, some organizations don't really want to dive into the weed of things because you, you're, you're afraid of what you may find, but that's important. You need to understand if you got bottlenecks of employees in certain spaces and they all have a commonality. What is that thing that's keeping them there, right? When we talk about promotional opportunities for folks, when we talking about just opening doors for people to be seen and visible, how are you doing that? How are you even looking to check up on what you have now and how it could be better in the future? And the last thing that I would say, Sarah, is empower your allies to lead. I know a lot of times I think we all kind of anytime and so you don't want to talk in person to always be the voice, to always talk about a lot, educate themselves, who partner with identities. They then have the autonomy still invite folks that identify to support that conversation, it still doesn't need to always be the identified that leads the push, right? And so empower your employee and your allies to do more, to lead even in the uncomfortable spaces, because that's what this is all about, right? Navigating in the uncomfortable waters, it could be, it be victorious in the end. And so those are kind of some of the things yeah. that our, my company actually mimics and some of the things that I've seen really make a huge difference. And it, it, um, it's, it's so much more of a spectrum too, right? So it's, it's you know, it, as you see, and, and, and all of you referenced it, you know, the newer generations um, are just so better educated. Let's face it, like, oh my God, they are like light years ahead of us <laughs> because of technology. <laughs> I sound like such an old lady. Um, but because of that, they're so much more enlightened from an emotional, like in an intellectual perspective too. And so to your point, like you can't assume, you know, it's not like you're this or this, you know, it's a spectrum, you know, and as you live your life and you go on about your journey, you know, it's a spectrum. And it, as I was doing research just for the show, it's so difficult to put in, and you may know this better than I do, Keisha Williams, it's so difficult to put a specific number on the size of the LGBTQIA plus community, the population, because we know 50% of the people at work aren't comfortable sharing it. And so it's, it's, you know, there's so much more we need to learn and so much more we need to do. And it's like, we celebrate those who have stepped up, you know, those who have been allies, but our work has just begun. <laughs> when my and we can't do. Oh, go ahead, Oh wait, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm no, sorry. No, yeah. No, no, no. Monique and then Keisha. Yeah. We can't discount the work that's been done. I mean, you know, exactly. we, we count the young folks that are coming up behind us, and we're saying how you know whatever whatever adjectives that people like to associate with them. Um, but the reality is, they've seen and bear witness to and benefited from the work that's been done prior, same way with us. Um, that's so I, true. I, 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 listen, there's been so much work that has been done in the workplace prior to me even showing up. So many people who have fought, sweated, you know, bled, all that kind of stuff before I even showed up Absolutely. in order to 
create those inroads for me to have a better life or a better work experience. Um, so the work that we're doing is not in vain. Yes, there's more work to be done. And as um, Keisha uh, was saying, that it is uh, having about it is about having a constant conversation about the evolving dynamic of our world. Um, but we should never discount everything that's been done. And we're just as resilient and we're just as all the fantastic adjectives that they want to associate it to the next generation and the young people. We're just as, as all, we're just as much as all of that. I know. I know. Agreed. I was going to say, Sarah, say when you, yeah. when we walk into, so I, I was in a grocery store with my nine-year-old niece. Okay. And there was a young lady that quote unquote, wasn't performing gender correctly. And so uh, for some strange reason, my niece just complimented her and said, she told me, she says, auntie, she's non-binary. I said, you know what that is? She's like, absolutely. And so when the nine-year-old group is telling you about non-binary, <laughs> you know, you got to step it up. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> From the mouths of babes, right? The the, of babes. Yeah. Oh gosh, no. You know what? Thank you. Thank you to all three of you. Um, Keisha, Keisha and Monique, you know, so grateful that you joined us today and, you know, shared your stories and your perspectives. And I, I know I have truly learned from this conversation and you can never stop learning. And, and Monique, you said it so well, uh, you know, we're here today to shine the spotlight on all three of you, but more importantly, to celebrate everybody else who's ever stepped up in any way to be a true ally to the LGBTQIA plus community. So thank you. And thank you Voice America for always giving me and next up that opportunity to share our voice and our mission with all of you. And like I said, most importantly to shine the spotlight on the great partners that we work with and then the great leaders and allies that ladder up to our mission. To learn more about Next Up and to listen to all of our podcasts, you can always check us out at nextupisnow.org. I'm Sarah Alter, and thank you for always listening. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Be sure to tune in again next week. Our program is live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Until we talk again, enjoy your week.